0: Welcome everyone to FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. I'm your host, Aaron White, and I'm happy to bring you three new film reviews today, one of which is about a film that debuted at Sundance earlier this year and two new sports documentaries about very different subjects and that take a very different approach As always, if you enjoy the pod and the reviews, please drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you may listen. If you want to write some kind words, that's also extremely welcome. We appreciate it. It helps us get seen and it helps others decide that they might want to take a chance on listening to the podcast and enjoying some awesome movie conversations between myself and Patrick or with these weekly new release reviews that I do. Well, I'll get right into it with the first film to talk about today, and that is the fourth and final film in the new second season of Netflix's untold sports documentary series. This one is called The Race of the Century. It is directed by Chapman Way and McLean Way. What's it about? A chronicle of the thrilling 1983 America's Cup Race of the Century is a classic underdog story. It tells the tale of the scrappy group of Australians who band together to dethrone the New York Yacht Club and break the longest-running winning streak in history in the most prestigious sailing competition in the world. Key members of the 1983 U.S. and Australian crews sit down for interviews, sharing their experience of this ultimate race to victory. It says it right there in the synopsis. This is an underdog story. That longest-running winning streak that was mentioned was hundred and thirty. Two years. America had won this particular competition, which is held every four years, kind of like the World Cup is or the Olympics. They had won it 132 years in a row. That is a level of domination that was unheard of in any type of athletic or sporting type of competition. It's just mind-boggling to think about that period of time. And no other nation being able to put together a sailboat and a crew that could beat the New York Yacht Club. So this is a great hook for a story and something that I knew nothing about. I was unaware completely of how America's Cup competition worked. I knew that it was a sailing competition and I knew that the boats had gotten naturally faster and faster Over the years, these yachts that they are sailing, these are not like, you know, just a casual weekend boat that you take out on the lake. These are streamlined, absolutely fast as heck machines meant to glide through the water, uh, just almost on top of it, if at all possible, to make for the best speed. So I I was fascinated by this documentary, and I just love the way that it was put together. The Way Brothers are the creators of the Untold series, and their mission when they started off on this was to make these documentaries, and it's called Untold, was to be bringing these stories not just to sports fans, but to make them accessible for everyone. And I think that they have largely accomplished that with the work that they have done. You know, you look at earlier in this series, Untold, uh, the girlfriend who didn't exist, the documentary about Mante Teo. That thing is blown up, and I have seen so much conversation on social media about that from people who are not folks who follow college football very closely, but they may have briefly seen that in the news, you know, 10 years ago, and they were curious, and they absolutely loved learning about that crazy tale, and this is sort of like that. It's just not standoffish in a way where if you're not interested in sailing, you're going to be like, oh, I'm checking out. And instead, it's gripping, it's riveting. They have a wonderful style. And I think that they, the Way Brothers that I'm still talking about, I think they have really solidified themselves as greats in the sports documentary filmmaking space. There's just slick and insightful, high production value to their storytelling that I really gravitate toward and enjoy. This particular tale is crazy, uh, this event. That took place. So, one of the main rules for the America's Cup is that the boat has to be designed and built in your country that you are competing for. It is very costly. There is a lot of technological advancement that goes into this. This is a money sport by all accounts. It definitely reminds me of F1 now that I've become this major F1 fan. I see how people buy their way in. And how until literally just this year, with some new regulations that have started to be put in place, you there was no cost cap essentially, so you could pay more money to spend to better develop parts that would give you an advantage, and that is essentially how it would work here. The New York Yacht Club was estimated to spend you know forty five million to continue keeping that win in the u s just on all sorts of things. I mean, there's so much that goes into creating a sailing team that can win this America's Cup. It takes a ton of work and and dedication over this, the three and a half year period leading up to it. It takes so much physical conditioning. It takes technology. Like I said, it takes talent uh, and it takes science, understanding aerospace engineering with regards to wind and sail angles. There's so much that is required to become elite and the minuscule difference in performance gains is where it relates to the way that modern elite motorsports is now i mean we're talking you know seconds or even tens and hundreds of seconds can make all the difference in the world the cup itself is kind of cool it's it's just a very classic best of 7 so they do 7 races it's 1v1 So in this case, it was America versus Australia. They're the ones who qualified and the best to four wins. It's that simple. What takes place? Not only is it this underdog story of a group of guys who worked so hard and were so nationally proud. They wanted to bring this to their country and do it for all Australians. They did all sorts of things to accomplish this goal. The designer... Uh, ben Lexon ends up making some very wild swings with regards to uh, the design. They create this new winged ship's keel that had never been done before. It was revolutionary. It was controversial. Uh, and it was majorly debated. And it caused a stir before the race took place. It caused, some, it caused some challenges from the American team who didn't want it to be allowed because they were afraid that it was going to beat them out one of the guys go from australia goes to the united states literally to a college and gets a degree to learn information about how the new york yacht club folks did their design so they really poured a lot of effort into this it is massively cut through i I feel like these guys were super serious was the way i mean they're kind of casual and fun but when it came to winning this there was no plan around uh, amongst, especially the New York Yacht Club, but even the Australia 2 crew, those guys were as dedicated as you could imagine, and they would have to be in order to do this. You know, the race comes down to, like I said, this best of seven. It requires a massive comeback from the Australians. I won't give exactly the details of how it goes away, but it's very dramatic set of races set off the coast of Rhode Island, and I really enjoyed watching this whole thing play out, just learning from both sides what their attitudes were at the time, approaching it from, you know, having a 132 year winning streak and wanting to break that and be this, you know, national, awesome, celebrated sporting team that was able to bring a championship home when no one else could. I loved it. I thought it was really good, and I highly recommend it. This will be streaming on Netflix on September the 6th. I learned a lot. It moves quickly. It's well-paced, and I think that anyone who enjoys an underdog story in general will enjoy this. You don't have to like or know anything about sailing to find this accessible. Next up is the Sundance film, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, from Focus Features and Peacock. Stars Regina Hall, Sterling K. Brown, Austin Crute, Nicole Beharie, and Uchina Confidence Ichizu. It is directed by Adama Ebo, written by Adama Ebo, and is her feature directorial debut, adapting her own 2018 short film of the same name. What's it about? In the aftermath of a huge scandal, Trinity Childs, the first lady of a prominent Southern Baptist megachurch, attempts to help her pastor husband, Lee Curtis Childs, Rebuild their congregation. I went into this with a lot of skepticism. If you have seen any of the marketing for it, you'll understand it's a satire, okay? Number one, first and foremost, this is a satire. It is scathing and unflinching. It goes so hard at calling out the hypocrisy in organized religion and especially using the megachurch and prosperity gospel angles of churches that lean on spectacle and performance to bring in attendees as its muse, I would say. (laughs) The characters in the film, Pastor Lee Curtis Childs, played by Sterling K. Brown and Trinity, of course, that's a play on words name, Childs, his wife called the first lady of the church, Played by Regina Hall. They are part of this Southern Baptist megachurch. It's called Wander to Greater Paths. At its biggest highs, it had roughly 26,000 members. And we quickly learn that the style of this film is going to be in mockumentary. So, what has happened is Pastor Lee Curtis Childs has faced some sexual misconduct allegations that we are not privy to uh, for quite a while in the film. And is being accused of potentially paying off some of the victims of this alleged misconduct. And in order to rebuild their image and hopefully regain church followers, they are setting forth on having this documentary made about them at leading up to this big opening reopening of their church uh, on an Easter service. So essentially, the film is about them trying to fix their image and mitigate the damage that has occurred with the media and with their churchgoers, etc. And it's all done in this mockumentary style where there's someone following them around with a camera that we almost never, ever hear from. I think there's only one or two lines of dialogue and it's towards the very end where the camera person makes a comment or the person actually behind the scenes who's crafting this film about them. It allows for a really interesting perspective on this topic. The marriage is not good. It is a wife who is not being treated well behind the scenes. But of course, in front of the camera, things look very differently. And the face that they put on for their congregation is all about showtime. It is dependent on Sterling K. Brown's charisma and ego. And those are off the charts. The performances in this are absolutely fire. Regina Hall, she embodies a quiet pain and an embarrassment, but also a dutiful face of support to her husband for most of this film. And it's very powerful, honestly, watching her in particular and the two of them together. I I just couldn't get over how perfectly cast this was. And I think it is a tricky thing to pull off a faux documentary that essentially consists of just interviews, some fake archival footage, media segments, and then a few church events that kind of highlight what it looks like that these churches do and how much it's about theater for them, both, both the pastor and his wife when they're on the stage. They love that spotlight. It's addictive, and they are doing things in order to try and keep that while, of course, holding all of these hypocrisies inside and not allowing the public to know their true selves and the issues that they are facing. It's a cynical film. It feels like it maybe is drawn from personal experience. So whether it is or not, that's very relatable to a lot of people. And it offers no easy solutions about this growing American problem of church leaders who are essentially false teachers, and they are in it for monetary gain and for fame, not for actual teaching the faith and leading a flock as Christian faith and the Bible would expect. And there's no real story resolution to this. So that might bother some but i appreciated the take no prisoners approach of this and how you know at times it's maybe a little too overstuffed with topical ideas like they they basically do everything you could imagine wrong but i understand that because it's a satire and you want to try and capture the wit of how church leadership can be misused and how people can be sucked into that by that spectacle that just captivates them and puts them in this situation where they've got blinders on to truth. I don't know that it had to be feature length. It maybe feels a little long. The short film that it's based on is about 15 minutes long, so it was more of a concept at that point. And I think that it certainly was nice to have it expanded But at times, maybe a little tighter editing would have been preferential. It's a fantastically done satire, though. Most of the time, it's absolutely brilliant. And it left me a little bit sad because I've seen some of this myself. And I know that despite some of the exaggerated moments These people do exist, and they have a vice grip on the souls of many Christian followers. It's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. And I couldn't help but think constantly of the many Bible verses that talk about judgment of false teachers and the increased responsibility that spiritual leaders have in the eyes of God. I mean, this is touching on church rivalries, congregants gossiping, people playing a victim. Image control, predatory and grooming type of behavior, how the patriarchy functions in marriage and business, how generations influence the next generation, misinterpretation and wordsmithing of the Bible, and what it means for women's to be pastors. Like there's so many things touched on. Like I said, it's almost overstuffed, but I appreciated that these are all things that viewers will hopefully see this and think about and question are they being fed in the way that their faith that they ascribe to expects them to be? And that's and that's very important. I hope that it will open some eyes, but I'm a little nervous people are gonna see this as, oh, this is all churches. It's not all churches. They're not all like it. This is the worst. (laughs) This is where American Christianity has gone awry. This is not everyone's experience and I hope that it doesn't just reinforce people's already negative views towards religion but at the same time a reckoning needs to happen and it's going to have to happen from within the church not from outside of it so this was I think important honestly I am usually not a fan of satire it's actually pretty hard To win me over with this sort of comedy and this sort of storytelling, it just doesn't usually affect me well, but this certainly did. And I found it to be both very timely and important and also extremely entertaining and very, very well made. And like I said, just the acting is off the charts. So the writing and acting both. I think this is absolutely well worth your time. It will be in theaters and streaming. On Peacock on September the second. That's an interesting dual release strategy. I'm actually curious how that's going to affect the box office to have it come out both places at once. I would expect most people will watch it at home. I'll be honest with you. I mean, outside of just supporting the filmmakers by going to see it in theaters and paying more for it, there's no reason that it needs to be seen. And well, I'll take that back. There could be one reason, and that could be a communal experience. So I expect there will be some interesting reactions in a crowded theater. To many of the things that we see people are going to have a relation to this experience that they see and that could create an atmosphere uh, for theater goers that would be very unique whether or not you want to be part of that I think it's a very personal decision but the movie plays just fine at home it looks like a mockumentary does it's there's nothing fancy or exciting about it visually so. If you don't have Peacock and you're not going to subscribe to it, go to see it in theaters. If you do have Peacock, there you go. You can just watch it from the comfort of your couch. But either way you do it on September 2nd, I definitely highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite films of the year so far. Last up is another sports documentary. This one's entitled McEnroe from Showtime Documentary Films. It is written and directed by Barney Douglas. What's it about? Nobody embodied the rock star era of tennis more than John McEnroe. The original bad boy of the sport, McEnroe, was famous not only for his epic matches, but also for his confrontations on and off the court. Set over one New York night and featuring completely unseen archival footage, this is a compelling and intimate portrait of one of the most explosive sporting icons of all time. This is what they say about it. I do not think it's compelling. (laughs) So... I was not a big fan of this film. I think they are definitely going for an intimate portrait, but I do appreciate that they put that in the synopsis there because it does help to frame the type of storytelling that is going on here. This was a really great juxtaposition between the style of filming in McEnroe and the style of filmmaking In the race of the century, McEnroe does not do the traditional, energetic, exciting, let's go through the career, let's show you some of the big major wins. I mean, listen, this guy was incredibly successful. He was known for being awesome around the net and for rushing in and playing very close to the net. And he, I think, won seven major titles single titles. I can't remember his his career record was 877 and 198 in singles and 532 and 103 in doubles. He was ranked number 1 in the world at one point. So I know that he had an incredible incredible career, but the problem with this for me was that they took a very deeply introspective approach to how they wanted to tell his story. So it's basically a bunch of interviews, but it's largely John himself talking. And most of the time, you'll hear him speaking over archival footage about his career. And I enjoyed the archival footage. I love seeing that stuff. The the problem for me is that the person John McEnroe was as an athlete He's known for on-court temper tantrums, outbursts, racket throwing, loudness, etc. And yet, in these interviews, it's trying to draw back and be this incredible soft portrait of him. I just don't find him very charismatic. He's not entertaining at all in his interviews. He rarely even has any voice inflection. And he just speaks in an incredibly stale manner most of the time that made this feel less dramatic from a sports accolade perspective than I think it should have. Instead, it's all about his mental mindset. There's a quote in this that I thought was a pretty standout. He says, I'm not very empathetic. That's my biggest flaw. And you can tell he's still wrestling with, his persona that he has had over the course of his career and and just who he is as a person. It feels like it's like an attempt to dive into his anxiety, his anger issues, and his mental state, which on the surface, like I might tell you, that sounds interesting, right? I just don't think that the filmmaking worked in a way that it pulled together and got my attention. So in between these archival footage interview type segments will occasionally drop out of that. And it goes into like these very over stylized sequences of John walking in the night. It tells you set over one New York night. And that's what it does. Like there's timestamps. So you'll. You'll go through part of the story of his career, maybe the first five or 10 years, about how he's idolizing Bjorn Borg, the way that he played, the way that he looked, the way that he acted. And he's kind of coming into the sport, trying to reach this pinnacle to where he can be like that guy. And then we'll cut and we'll see John walking quietly in the darkness of the New York night with the skyline in the background, or him stopping and pausing to pick up a payphone. like I don't, And then a timestamp 1 a.m. 2 a.m., 3 a.m. as he goes through the night and recounts these events. Like, completely unnecessary. It doesn't matter. Like, who cares? Who cares that you did this interview over a night? Like, to me, that is completely not at all part of the storytelling that you want us to get out of this. I wanted to see about what made John an incredible tennis player and also at the same time, Maybe get some of what we do, which is his first hand accounts about his mindset throughout his career and why he had all these outbursts that he was known for, but instead it it feels almost like a therapy session like this was meant for John himself to go through a therapy session, but then they filmed it and put it out as the story of his life and career or whatever, so it just didn't hit for me it didn't work i think that much of the information is there like that goes through his career and his accolades and his successes within the sport of tennis but the structure doesn't string it together in a cohesive way that kept my attention up I found myself drifting and being completely bored and part of that is his monotone speaking throughout there's just such a lack of energy in this I I did not ultimately find it to be of much value to me overall. I didn't come away feeling any different about McEnroe. I didn't respect him more or less, really didn't really become very empathetic towards him over the course of this either, as far as like understanding why he did the things he did and or maybe appreciating his accomplishments more. I I just, it was a nothing burger for me. And I like tennis. I watch a lot of tennis. It's funny because this is dropping on the week of uh, one of our majors that is being played right now the US Open so it's timed importantly to you know accompany that event which i'm watching quite a bit of but yeah this just wasn't the thing that i was kind of hoping it would be i guess and you know it's going to take a very specific type of person to desire this sports biopic kind of direction that is all about being in a confessional, and less about highlighting the career achievements, which is what we're used to, and I just, I would have preferred the latter That's what it boils down to, and I did not do what it needed, what it was trying to do in a way that I found to be effective. McEnroe will be streaming and on-demand both for Showtime subscribers on September 2nd, and then it will premiere on air on Showtime, the cable version, on Sunday, September the 4th. I don't really recommend it. It's pretty much a skip for me. That is what I would tell you, unless you are maybe a McEnroe super fan and you just want to eat up everything there is to eat up about McEnroe. Maybe then you'd enjoy it. Maybe you're a tennis fan, tennis super fan, and you just are going to watch it regardless of what I say, but you've been warned that you might feel like you wasted an hour and 45 minutes. Well, that's it for this week's show. Hopefully, some of the information I've provided will assist in your decision-making. As always, if you do see any of the films that I talk about, always let me know. I would love to chat on social media. You can find me on Twitter, at Aaron L. White. That's A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. You can also find me on Letterboxd, under that same username, or on Facebook, hanging out in the Feel and Film Facebook discussion groups. There is links to all of that stuff in every show notes of our episodes. Thank you guys for listening. It is much appreciated. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filled.